Welcome to Hip Hop Movie Club, where three old heads put their old heads together to vibe on some of the most memorable or forgettable hip hop themed movies of all time. And here's HHMC with your HHMCs, Boogie, JB, and Dino Wright. Season 3, Episode 4, Brown Sugar. Written by Michael Elliott and Rick Famuia. Released in 2002 and featuring Tay Diggs, Sanaa Lathan, Nicole Ari Parker, Most Def, Forrest Kojo, Queen Latifah, and Pepper with many other hip-hop luminaries. We'll answer the question, just how sweet are the sugary bonds of hip-hop? Brown Sugar sees Sydney and Dre, who can attribute their friendship and the launch of their careers to one single childhood moment, witnessing the birth of hip-hop on a New York street corner. Now, some 15 years later, she is a revered music critic, and he is a successful, though unfulfilled, music executive. Both come to realize that their true life passions will only be fulfilled by remembering what they learned that day on the corner. So, Boogie, you had recommended that we watch this one, and I know it's one of your favorites. What do you think worked about this movie that that made it so memorable for you throughout the years? Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the, one of the things that I, I definitely loved about this movie was the overall tone in reference to hip hop, being a child of hip hop. You know, I just call myself, you know, I say all the time hip hop raised me, you know, um, metaphorically speaking, of course. But there's always a tie to it that I always enjoyed because it starts with the beginning, um, not necessarily the very beginning of hip hop, but it's very early in hip hop where you see you see the B-Boys outside breakdancing. You see a cypher um, going on, which actually uses actual uh, legends in the game. You see, you know, um, Dana Dane and Dougie Fresh and Slick Rick freestyling in a cypher. And that's kind of like where it all began. And then it progressively goes on to as they become adults. They're still intertwined in the hip hop with Sid writing and editing um, for various columns that specialize in, in, in hip hop and, and, and um, critiquing articles and albums and things of such, and Dre being a record exec, so it always intertwined. And I'm, I like a, I like a good romantic comedy every now and then, and I think there's there's a cheesy factor here definitely, and you know I, I like to root for the good guys every now and then. So it's 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 always been fun for me to watch, you know. So I was you know, wanted to share and uh, hopefully the listeners. Um, enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah, it was refreshing to watch a romantic comedy with some dramatic elements, especially in this season where we saw violent in a couple of the prior movies that we reviewed, do the right thing with the the racial tensions and the, the tragic ending and also the tragedy uh, with Above the Rim. So this was definitely refreshing, kind of take your mind off of that and and see the story. I agree. I, I love how they intertwine hip hop throughout. Sydney's always reflecting back to that moment in 1984 where they, they saw the B-Boys. Slick Rick is one of my all-time favorites and, and Dougie Fresh, the original beatboxer, just amazing. And she even references the show and then Lottie Dottie, which are just all-time classics. And you see they even interview several personalities 
in the hip hop world, the beginning and ask them, when did they fall in love with hip hop? And that kind of goes along the lines of what we're doing here with the podcast. We even had our special episode. When did we first fall in love with hip hop? What was that first moment? And it was kind of cool to see some of the legends, Common, Questlove, uh, Big Daddy Kane, and several others talk about that. And then you see how Sydney and Dre, where they first started as well. So that was really cool. Absolutely. Dinah Wright, what, what were the elements of brown sugar that, that struck you as being profound here? So I thought that as far as rom-coms go, they are sort of predictable. But I think besides the predictability of the final act of the, the movie, there's some nice touches and some of the characters were written really well. I think all of them were written really well, especially, in, and Roger Ebert points this out, Reese, Dre's actual wife, she could have been written as a bitchy kind of caricature of a, a harpy of a wife, but she actually tried to fight for the, the marriage after the, the breakup. And there was some depth to the character. And I thought that was really nice. You know, sometimes some of these characters in rom-coms can be kind of contrived, <laughs> sort of paint by numbers. But, you know, especially when, when Dre comes home and says that he quit his job and is starting a record label and I don't think she was wrong to be upset that he didn't consult her and that Dre had a point like this is what he wanted. But, you know, now he's in a marriage. It's not just about him. He's a unit. And so I don't think she was wrong. And I think that was a really good part of this movie that it really worked. Some of these characters had depth and, and some development and some rom-coms don't get that. Yeah. Yeah, that conversation between the two of them after he quit was very, very well done. Very well done. And um, I, I think I said, I, I watched it with the commentary and they, they actually talked about that scene and how they they wanted it to be as realistic as possible. Because usually when you see something like that happen in a, in a, in a movie, you know, she'll overreact, storm, or storm out or something or fuss at him. And then, you know, that's the end of it. But they actually had dialogue where you could actually kind of see both sides of the situation. And like you said, I, I don't think she was wrong at all. I mean, she definitely, as a wife, should have been consulted with. And I understand why she was upset that even though he was coming to her, he'd already gone to Sid first. You know, it's like, hey, you know, we're we're a unit, but you you went to someone outside before you came to me first. You know, so I, I definitely understood her point in that that situation. So that was I, I, I like that that was pointed out. And this watching it now. And I didn't see this in 2002 when it came out. So it would have hit differently then because I hadn't been <laughs> married for several years by that point. And the three of us have long-term relationships, you know, wife type uh, situations. And so it'd be interesting to what 2002 me would have thought about this. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I see both sides of that as well. It's just to me, so obvious. Dre always confiding in, in Sydney on everything. Um, he's the first to tell her he's having issues with the job and quit. And she's so kind enough to, to write a check that he can start his label. And I mean, it's almost like they <laughs> they finish each other's sentences. Uh, they, they have such a history that to me, like I said, it was super obvious that they kind of would end up together. So that was one of the things that you know, at the end and they end up together to me it's, it's almost like too cookie cutter yes there are great elements i love what they did with the metaphor of hip-hop for the relationship 
being that it matured, it grew, but at, at the end of the day, they, they end up together just kind of like a like a Disney film, but except they didn't kill off the parents. <laughs> <laughs> I predicted the ending that, that happened, but I was sort of thinking like, well, I wonder if they don't end up together. Like what, what would this movie would be like if they don't wind up together? Because there are a few movies that actually happens. <laughs> or or I was always sort of outraged at the end of the Wonder Years original series that <laughs> that Winnie Cooper and <laughs> Fred Savage's character don't 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 wind up together but yeah like rom-coms go there there was some formula to it that they stuck to for some parts i mean don't get me wrong i'm, I'm glad they did i like it when things you know when it's happy ending but it's something that's again a tried and true formula but i don't know how they could have done it differently but for me like i don't know how often i would then go back and see this this movie again because you know what happens and it's nothing too outrageous. I mean, that's just my take on it. Sometimes movies like this don't lend themselves to a lot of layers and like visual Easter egg kind of things. Like you would see in like, don't be a menace to society while drinking <laughs> your juice in the hood. But yeah, uh, this isn't that kind of movie. And so there, there wouldn't be a lot of references to go find in a movie like this. Although there were some nice touches just from a filmmaker standpoint. When, when Sid shows up to the bridal shower, her gift is literally wrapped in a pink box, but all the other stuff that Reese got was Tiffany blue. <laughs> like, here's, a, here's a clue that this isn't going to mesh well, like oil and right. water. And after Sid <laughs> breaks up with, with Kelby, you know, Kelby was playing for the Nets, but she's wearing a Nick sweater after the breakup. <laughs> and the last I thing was I didn't catch that originally. Yeah. She's a very small Nick's logo on the on the on the sweater. And then the, the final thing, like when she's writing after the breakup, that vase that they that she had bought that had a flower in it from Kelby, no longer had a flower from Kelby in it when she was writing, when she was wearing that Nick sweater. So yeah, that blue vase pops up quite a few times throughout it, the movie. It's almost like a Chekhov's gun kind of thing, if you know what that reference is. But mm-hmm. Rick Famuyiwa, co-writer and director of the movie, wound up to do director of a lot of episodes of The Mandalorian and the executive producer of The Mandalorian season three. So he knows what he's doing. And even at this yeah. way back in 2002, he really had some things did well. Yeah, so about the, the gift that for the bridal shower, um, it was differently packaged. And I heard Sid was like Francine. So her cousin Francine played by Queen Latifah. The gift was <laughs> leather <laughs> panties with a zipper, right? <laughs> and apparently, was that was that because Francine had picked it out and just got it for for her? Is that what what it was? And that, that's why she was like shocked by it as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. She was trying to figure out. She's like, oh, I never yeah. know what to get for these things. And Francine's like, oh, I got yeah. you, I got you. <laughs> yeah, she's <laughs> a crazy cousin, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was teasing was her a- about the massager and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that was the first her first time seeing those paintings as well. <laughs> <laughs> I got oh, you. Oh man! But but you could tell um, that at the shower, Sid seemed out of place. But I got obviously she played the game and she knew every single detail about Dre because she knew him from childhood. So she knew she was the only one that knew his favorite song, his favorite drink, his middle name. Yep. So they're like, all right, let's quit playing because Sid knows everything. So that's one of the early inklings that. Oh, wait a second. Yeah, they had that bond. 
Well, let's talk about the metaphor, the ongoing metaphor of hip hop for the romantic pairing of, of Dre and Sydney. Let's talk about that a little bit. What do you guys think? How did, how is the like maturity of hip hop relate to the maturity of the relationship? Hmm. Well, I think when Sid and Dre first met, well, not first met, but they first met hip hop, I should say, it was in its infancy and it was fun and it was energetic and they kind of used it to have fun. And they had so many good memories of it. Like I remember they were talking about, you know, things that, they, that happened while they were in high school and going to certain parties and things like that. So it was always a fun outlet for them. Then I guess as they matured, they both sought careers in it. But I guess it was even with their relationship personally, there always was something there because they always had that that underlying connection that everybody saw. Like people would have seen them for the first time. Oh yeah, you and your you, you know your cup. When they were looking for things in the store, and the, the one salesperson thought they were married. People that never even saw them automatically assumed that they were a couple because there was an, an inst- there was an automatic instant connection that everyone could see. But like I think there was a point where. Like even Sid mentioned that she always thought that she would outgrow it and that she never thought that it would grow and mature with her. And, you know, here we are, they have a career together. I mean, they they both have careers. And I think at that point, they, 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 all, they knew that there was something there, but they were both in denial because I guess neither one wanted to hurt the other or didn't want to make it awkward or something. But I mean, they, they, they definitely had a connection. I think it was more so just being honest with themselves and knowing that they actually still could be friends and still care for one another and be honest about their feelings towards one another, the way they feel about hip hop. That is kind of what brought them together finally at the end. That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, it makes sense for sure. Uh, the way the way I see it is they grew up on what I call like the original like old school hip hop and they have the same favorite songs. There was a scene towards the end where they're like completing the verses of song. I forget if that was Boogie Down Productions or something. Uh, maybe that was his favorite song. But they always oh, to love her. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I used to love her. So what, what my thought process is that they're authentic and they're original. And I think as hip hop itself evolved, you get some of these newfangled artists um, and, and they, they just can't compare. And I think maybe in their relationships, it mirrored that where Dre's with Reese and it's like something new and different, but it's not like that original. And they can't, they want to get back to when they were watching Dougie Fresh, Dana Dane and Slick Rick. And that was authentic. And they want to get back to that place. And the same thing with Reese and Kelby. It's like, oh, this is nice. This is new. He's whining and dining me. He's cooking for me. Is maybe like a new flavor. I'm going to compare that to like a new hip hop song or like a new artist. And it's like, yeah, it's great, but it's not like the original. And I think the original is what they need to thrive and survive. And so they needed each other. Kind of like they needed old school hip-hop that's kind of how i saw i saw it yeah all right what do you think about that the whole metaphor i, I agree i think the example that really hits his home is most def's character how he's known as yes in bay but 
Kavi's rap style, his his version of hip hop was more of the old school, and that's what Dre wanted to do in his label is to have acts like Kavi and not like the hip hop Dalmatians that were just out for a buck and didn't have any discernible talent. And I think back to your point, JB, about originality, like the original hip hop sound, like that's what Kavi was doing, and that's what Dre wanted to to get back to. And eventually the metaphor plays out in Dre and Sid finally getting together. Like, will they, won't they? Well, of course they will. Yeah. That's a good point about that group, Ren and Tent. They're just wild. Dalmatian act, you know, <laughs> white with black spots and stuff like that. And it just turned, turned Dre off to the whole hip hop scene because those were the types of acts that were being signed just to make a quick buck. Almost like a one hit wonder, like what's flashy and what's the flavor of the month or the fad. And I think maybe not to say that Reese's wife was exactly that, but nothing could compare to the original. And that, again, Cavi, right. He had that authentic original style. He wanted all authenticity in his life. And yeah. 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 Cause even when Dre originally approached Cav, he didn't want anything to do with him. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like, yeah, I got you. I know where you at. I can find you when I need you. Yeah, all right. okay. All right, yeah, well, good. Yeah, thanks for coming out. <laughs> yeah. and, then when, and then when Dre finally, you know, tracked them down, he's like, you know, what do you want me for? You got the the spotted Dalmatian Smothers Brothers dude. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> what, do you, what do you need with me? But you know, at that point, Dre had you know had his epiphany and was like, yo, I don't want to. I don't want any more shiny suits and spotted Dalmatian guys. I want authentic, real hip hop. The real hip hop. And that's when, you know, yeah, he he started making a connection with Cav because Cav was like, all right, you know what? You do me a favor. You know, I'll do you a favor. And then I guess from there, they kind of started to mesh. And and you can see that Dre was real about it and was ready to put in that that extra work to to, to get him promoted. That was a great metaphor with Cav. With my tastes in hip hop, I find myself in that same vein where just like a lot of people as they age, like nothing can compare to the originals. Like I'm always throwing on the old school stuff. Give me give me special ed, give me D nice, give me slick rick, Tuggy Fresh, give me that stuff because it just seems more authentic to me. Now with the advent of you know auto-tune or people just trying to get that one hit, it it turns me off to a lot of the, the newer stuff. It's very rare that a newer track would come out and it stays in my rotation heavily. Yeah. I think there's very, yeah, there's a very few, few new artists that I, that I listen to. I mean, a lot of it is just, I can't, <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> or I can't lyricism. I don't yeah. bother. <laughs> or it's new artists that really have an old sound. And so, that makes sense. Like, okay, here we are. Exactly. Yeah. Along the lines of the metaphor, there was a quote in the movie that Sid mentioned, I believe, like, what is the difference between rap and hip hop? And it was equated to loving somebody and being in love with somebody. And I thought that was interesting, profound. And again, that ties to the metaphor for the relationship between Dre and Sidney as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I funny, I had that quote too. <laughs> she said, I was like, ooh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. 
I had a less profound <laughs> reaction to that. <laughs> but oh, the difference between rap and hip hop is just that rap is something you do in the hip hop culture. And that was it. <laughs> I was like, oh, there's more meaning to this. Oops, <laughs> it missed me. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because that's that's my original. That's my original point of it too. Is like hip hop is a way of life. Like it's a it's a culture. Like even when I write hip hop out, I always write both H's in the capital, just like I would reference any other culture. You know, that's how I you know I take it as a culture for me. Um, it's a way of life. And but when she said that, I was like, yeah, it's it's it kind of struck a nerve because I'm like, yeah, because there definitely is a difference between saying you love somebody. And then, you know, staying and being in love with somebody. I was like, okay, all right, okay. (laughs) (laughs) The difference between rap and hip hop is often debated. And I actually ended up looking up that question, like on YouTube, and I saw the legendary KRS-One, who was a pioneer of hip hop, speak to that point. And it was along the lines what you just said. Both of you guys actually just kind of hinted at it. Where... Whereas rap is something you do. That's kind of the verb. Uh, but also he goes on to say rapping is just about trying to make the money. And you know, I'm a rapper. Mm-hmm. I just got to cash in. Whereas hip hop is the culture of hip hop and you're, it's a community and that whole community aspect of it. So it's much bigger than just rap. Yeah. But yeah, if you looked that up, KRS-One had a pretty good little interview about that. And other people have. We'll link it in the show notes tackled that yeah for sure yeah that's yeah. like that's like how i say the difference between you know rapping and being an mc rapping is just going up and putting out lyrics mc is commanding the mic microphone controller moving the crowd you know in the crowd it's, it's yeah. more to it's more to it than just getting up there and just reciting a bunch of lyrics that you you know wrote down <laughs> yeah for sure then uh, we were talking about this before the show so i don't know if we had it here but the maturity of hip-hop as an art form. And I think I love this quote that Sid said that it went from Kool-Aid parties in the Bronx to champagne parties in Soho. I just love that line because they grew up in New York, right where hip hop was born. Mm -hmm. And they thought it was going to be regional, local. No one knew it would blow up to this extent. And they loved it so much in this film that, they followed their dreams and they worked in that industry. Um, but it's amazing how much it's matured. And, you know, obviously then the relationship blossomed as well. And, you know, they matured as, as a couple. Um, but, but yeah, if you just think about historically, we were talking about this earlier, like who knew how huge hip hop would become? Yeah. I would People, have thought it. Yeah. We did a season one on early hip hop culture and it was a subculture starting with graffiti and breakdancing and house parties with like DJ Cool Herc and all those pioneers. It took years and years, but again, it's grown and grown and matured and now it's international multi-billion dollar industry. It's amazing. It influences everything. <laughs> everything. I mean, you, you can't turn on, you can't watch a commercial break without some kind of hip hop influence commercial coming across, be it that they're sampling an old school song or somebody's trying to rap or there's a dance going on or 
even the way somebody's walking or dressing, something is always something in, going on that is around hip hop in one shape or form. Yeah. Hip hop influences the way we speak, the way we walk, the fashion, the clothing that we wear, the music, obviously, the artwork, it's everywhere. I was just watching the animated movie Sing 2 with the family like a week or two ago. And lo and behold, there's a breakdancing scene in there. You see, you know, trolls, there's hip hop, you know, it's just everywhere. Yep. It's funny. Like I said before we started recording, I was like Big said it back in 94. Whoever thought the hip hop would take it this far. And I'm like, man, that was 94. And from 94 to even now, it's like skyrocketed. It like almost went at warp speed from that point to now. Because <laughs> there was still a lot of pushback in 94, but like now it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, to the point where you got Diddy and Jay-Z owning um uh liquor companies and Rockefeller Records and fashion moguls owning sports teams. Teams, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. But going back quickly to the relationship with Sydney and Dre, um, like I said, good story, a little bit too predictable for me. I mean, instead of going to his bachelor party, he ends up going to see Sid. They have that romantic kiss. She questions, are you still gonna go forward with this tomorrow? <laughs> He's all jealous when she's going out on a date. It's just, you know, the two were just inseparable and they're destined to be together. Simple as that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said earlier, it was like the one thing that, that they tried to throw a loop in it was having Dre and Reese get married about 30 minutes into the movie, which you rarely see in rom-coms. There's usually some buildup towards the end. Like There's always that tension going on back and forth throughout the movie. And then it gets to the end and he's like, are you going to marry her? And somebody like, you know, one or the other, somebody storms in and no, or but they say, oh, no, we're going to get them married in the beginning. And then we're going to try to figure out how this is going to work from there. <laughs> it's like, you always know that they're going to end up together because you look at the poster or the, the cover of the DVD, get together on the cover. So, all right, you know what's going to happen. <laughs> Which route is going to get them there? And Trey's wedding with Reese, they were really loud and close to objecting <laughs> in between Sid <laughs> and uh, her cousin Francine, playwright Queen Latifah, they, they were like, they're like, shh, quiet, quiet, quiet. They're like, are they going to object? You know, that was a bit of a suspense there. Yeah. <laughs> but to me, I mean, I, I think they all, they both, Sid and Dre had a solid head on their shoulders. Like, they're mature. They have a good career. I was a little thrown off, I guess, turned off, I should say, by the fact that they had this world and romance that Reese and Dre got married with whirlwind romance and then turn about his fair play where all of a sudden, Oh, by the way, you know, uh, Sydney's starting to see this basketball player, Kelby, and it's a whirlwind romance and they're getting married. And it's like, it seemed a little bit forced to me. So, so that kind of turned me off a little bit. Yeah. The, the likelihood of both of them going through a whirlwind romance to get married that quickly. That's not very realistic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One other question I wanted to ask you guys. There's little hints that Reese, she, she gets hit on at the gym a few times and she doesn't really say anything about it. And Sid tells him that later on. But also, why does Dre have 
Reese's phone at the studio with him all the time. Oh, there was, was, there was a there was a point. I missed that. They, they referenced it earlier. They, they came yeah. in and they, they had the same exact phone. Oh, okay. So they would grab one another's phone every now and then. So that, there was one point they walked and said, like, oh, wait, wait, oh, wait, no, here you go. It, it, it was real quick. Okay. I missed that. I must have missed that because I'm like, why is he always having her phone? Is there a lack of trust there? But he sees texts, you know, coming through. And then obviously they they do see her dining with another man. And that's the end of the, the relationship or marriage. And that was actually funny <laughs> the way that Dre, that's my part, that's my part. <laughs> that Dre approached the, the guy, you know. Oh, that's funny. You having a good time? Because that's my wife. <laughs> yeah. And that row. Oh, I noticed she's not wearing that ring that you know I bought her and all this stuff. But did you hear that after he said that? She said, actually, that I bought. And he's yeah. like, don't put my business out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I did hear that. Yeah. It was an ironic love- turn. Ironic oh, turn. <laughs> yeah, I love that part right there. I, my, my sister Nikki and I crack up on that scene every time it comes on. Like, like we reference that, hey, oh, that he does <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so every time that scene comes on, I just start cracking up. He's like, hey, hi. <laughs> and he's like, she introduced me, Richard Lawson. <laughs> hey, Richard that was Lawson. really funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, Tate Dick's character, he ejected some humor in a tense situation. Then the other really tense scene was the at the gym between the two girls. Oh, uh, yeah. That was that was good. They're kind of airing out their grievances about how Sydney's too close with with Dre and and they're punching the uh the pads as they're working out. Like, I can become a friend, you know, I've known him forever. Yeah, but you're too close and yeah, deal with it. Yeah, I thought that was really well done. Yeah, that originally wasn't supposed to be a gym, at a gym. That was supposed to happen somewhere else. And I think when they started filming, they decided to to change it to to make it in the gym. I was like, huh, I never knew that. A commentary. <laughs> <laughs> you watch with the DVD commentary. You learn things. <laughs> I, I was wondering, like, how, why do they go to the same gym? Like, New York is a big place. They wind up at the same gym. And maybe it's because people, high-powered people like that, have to go to some it's high-powered exclusive gym. But it seemed rather convenient that they were both there. And hey, we all got focus mitts and and gloves. Let's let's work out our differences. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, that that's another thing that was a little bit too fortuitous for me. Oh, they happen to be at the same gym at the same time doing the boxing. <laughs> And also, the other thing that was too fortuitous, Cavi is his cab driver. He just happens to be, you know, he's trying to, Dre's trying to track him down because that's the artist he wants. He's the first artist he wants to sign to his new brown sugar label. And he's, oh, oh, I just, in this huge city (laughs) with thousands of cabs, this is pre Uber time, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) where there's so many more cabs. And it's like, oh, that's the guy. I know the guy. That's the guy. But there was some funny dialogue in that cab ride, though. Yes, that was a that was really funny. Cab is like, hey, you know, he's like, you know, you're tired of, of the BS and calling it hip hop. He's like, what are you, the, the Grinch that stole hip hop? <laughs> you going back to Whoville to give them back their publish, get them their publishing back. That was really funny. <laughs>
That was especially delicious. <laughs> oh, the Grinch just stole hip hop. Oh man. I really liked uh Cavi, or most Def's character. Yeah, yeah. He was essential. Yeah. He was a good and he played a good wingman too. He did. And that he saw what was going on with Dre and was kind of nudging him like, hell man, you're you're the man, you are the man. Like you're the Humphrey Bogart in this film. I'm just a side guy. Like, yo, you're supposed to get the girl in the movie. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. The the Casablanca references are really well done in this too. Yes. <laughs> and then the scene, especially the depth of the characters really shows with Cavi's character because for all the bravado and skill he had as an MC, he's terrible at asking Francine out. <laughs> oh my god, yes. And he was really funny at the at the at the party. He was like, Oh no, now we're not gonna be able to eat. <laughs> it's like like I could relate to that. I really I felt f- them. Called like, her food, to eat too. <laughs> called her food delicious and nutritious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, again, really well-written character with a lot of depth. Yeah. It reminded me of what we were talking about, House Party, how uh, Martin Lawrence was like, you're soft like a fluffy biscuit or something. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, your words just don't come out right because yeah. you're, you're nervous. Yeah. <laughs> The exactly. I'm talking about the champagne flutes and the history of how they were made. <laughs> really long-winded and awkward. That's right. Uh, uh, I can relate like, to you that. You want to go out with me? Like, you want to go out? Let's go out. <laughs> Let's just go out. I, I would have been like that, too. Like, just stumbling over the dumbest things that come out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I've, had a, I've had my share of those moments. <laughs> so smooth. <laughs> so not smooth. <laughs> yeah, I will not lie. I've definitely been there. Uh-huh. You want to point out any other like tidbits from the actors or actresses or anything else? Yeah, I got, I got a couple of little tidbits. This movie mm-hmm. was a, the executive producer was Irvin Magic Johnson. And this was his first feature film as an executive producer. Oh, is this his first one? Wow. Okay. Yeah. I didn't realize it was his first one. Yeah. You know, Brown Sugar has the distinction of being one of the first feature films to shoot on location in New York following the tragic events of 9-11. Oh, wow. Yeah, they started filming in in October of um, 2001. So they had a lot of difficulties in finding locations and they had to get a lot of special access from the mayor. They were filming in places where people couldn't even go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Another one. This is actually one of my favorite married couples, Nicole Ari Parker and Boris Kojo. Yep. Are married in real life with two kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've been married since 2005. <laughs> They're one of my favorite couples. I, I love the two of them together. Um, <laughs> they look like fun. <laughs> yeah. That that Cav performance at Webster Hall, that was a live mic. He was actually freestyling and rapping. Is that right? Webster oh, Hall. Okay. yeah. He requested a live mic. Yeah, he wrote that rhyme specifically for that part. Oh, and the beat that he was rhyming on was a Kanye West beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've noticed that in a lot of the credits. Yeah, at the end. So, um, a couple more. Mark John Jeffries, who plays a young Dre in the beginning of the movie, he also played a young Marcus, who was played by Fifty Cent in Get Richard Die Trying, and then <laughs> wow. he grew up to play Lil C's in Notorious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A hat trick. Yeah. A hat trick. Of- <laughs> hat trick. Yep. And 
Sanaa Lathan and Boris Kodro actually dated in another movie, Love and Basketball. Boris oh, Kodro. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was uh, Jason Sanaa's date to her high school dance. Right, yeah. And my final one, <laughs> Sanaa Lathan and Ted Diggs also play love interests in the Best Man series. Ah, I, I know you're the you're the, the charter president of the Sanaa Lathan fan club. I knew you would have that kind of absolutely kind of tidbit. I will gladly wear that hat, <laughs> and I will die on that hill. It's <laughs> good info. Oh, I did find one other thing, and I noticed this in the um the party scene that at uh, Russell Simmons' party in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, did you see China? So, uh, I missed it. China's missed in the crowd. I yeah, missed there a, yeah, there's a scene where I think Francine and Sid look over, and you see Dre and Reese talking, and China standing right there. Oh, and I was like, I, I was watching. It's funny because all the times I've watched the movie, I've never noticed it until I watched it a few days ago, and I was like, "Is that China? That's China." I walked, rewind it back, and I paused it. I'm like. That's definitely China. So then I was watching it with the commentary, and it was like, yeah, you know, they were joking around and talking. Like, yeah, you see China in the crowd, and like, yeah, you say like, it's kind of hard to not miss her because she's kind of stands out. You, you see her, and you're like, yeah, that's definitely China. They said they were filming, and she was downstairs, and I said, yeah, she's a big fan. Of, she was a big fan of hip hop, and just asked if she could come upstairs and, and just be in a crowd. And they said, wow. sure, come on up. <laughs> <laughs> Easy peasy. Yeah. Yeah, I, did, I didn't catch that. I saw the other rappers that are in that party. There was Beanie Siegel and um, Fabulous was there. Fabulous, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They were huge at that time. Absolutely. Yep. yep. And shout out to Angie Martinez, too. Mm-hmm. One of the hottest mid-day radio personalities ever in, in urban yeah. music. Yeah. Especially bouncing from you know Hot 97 to... You know, 1051 and she's she's done it she's she's huge mm-hmm. and i lo- always loved her voice angie mar <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'll go back to the plot the other straw that kind of broke the camera's back with with uh sid and kelby was uh you know he never read her articles you know yeah. she was asking about an article and they're sitting after the practice and he's he was making things oh yeah it was good it was really good what was it yeah. about yeah, yeah, he really enjoyed it. <laughs> you don't know it. And then meanwhile, yeah. you, you you flash over to uh, Dre. He had memorized like opening statement from her very first article from LA yes. Times. And he, he's always reading her stuff. You see him reading every single article of hers. Yeah. 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 Yep. He said he used to go and snag all of her, snag the LA Times mm-hmm. just so he read her articles. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that was the it, Kelby's that those fatal flaw that uh, sort of punctured the balloon. Yeah, because <laughs> he seemed perfect up until that. Right. That's right. Like, bro, all you got to do is read an article here and there. Like, you got to read all of them. He he, he, one two. he really <laughs> talked a good game in the beginning, but uh, yeah. he he was not actually that good of a game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean NBA, they got flights. So you got time to read that article. <laughs> Seriously, read an article. <laughs> read an article. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what what about the soundtrack for, for this film? What do you guys think of the music? Two thumbs up. 
they uh, used Black Delicious's Make You Feel That Way. And it had been coming up in my Spotify radio like a lot. So something something was happening and like, oh, nice. <laughs> now it's here in this movie. And it was like a perfectly timed spot in the movie when it comes on. But it's great. Yeah, really, really good stuff. The Cassandra Wilson cover of Time After Time oh. works in there like, woo. Yes. Really well done. Yeah. Especially they referenced Cindy Lauper in the movie too. So it did, yeah. It's a good, good callback to that. Could this movie be made today? What do you guys think? Um, yeah, I think it could. I mean, even if they just chose not to completely remake it, they could even just take it back to like the golden era of hip hop. They don't even have to, or the 90s, and just even from the 90s to now. There's such a difference in in hip hop, and you can just say, you know, when we first fell in love with hip hop, and you can have somebody listen to like Jay Z or something like that, and then just saying like how you know hip hop has has changed for better or worse, depending on who you talk to. And rom coms, there's always room to squeeze those in, so you just put a little hip hop subplot to it, and you yeah, you can definitely do it. Whether or not it'll be good, hmm, it remains to be seen. You yeah. can definitely do it. <laughs> yeah, I thought it probably could be made again today, but you know we're a lot further removed from the beginning of hip hop now, like yeah. twenty more years, and so it'd be a fascinating writing challenge. And I think I like your idea, Boogie, about starting it later on in life, like maybe with Jay Z or something of that era, because even Jay Z's debut is what twenty years old now, <laughs> more than twenty yeah. years old. Woo. How did that happen, guys? <laughs> oh, man. It's in the time machine. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. What do you think, JB? Speaking of that, I think I cracked my neck trying to wipe the dirt off my shoulder. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, I think, I think it, could, it, it could be remade because it's a rom-com, but it had to change a few elements like you guys. I, I'm on board with what you guys said. It, don't know how effective it would be, but this storyline is tried and true. You know, wasn't there a movie like My Best Friend's Wedding uh, years ago? Yeah, something along those lines. I forget how that all went. It's basically the black version of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, definitely the version of it. Or uh, what was the other one where Julie Ru- the Runaway Bride or something like that? Right? Like, there's been several variations of something like this. Yeah. So, it could be made. I, I like the twist that they have with the hip hop metaphor for sure. I guess now it's time for our rating. Bring that funky flick back. Bring that funky flick back. Or leave it in the vault. Start with you, Boogie, because this I know, I know where you're going. <laughs> yeah, you already know where I'm going. I mean. As the, as the official president of the Sonali and fan club, I'm going to bring that funky flick back. <laughs> I know, right? I'm also going to bring this funky flick back. But we talked earlier before we started recording about whether we would watch this movie again. And I'm not sure I would. I think I may turn it on, or if it had come on as I'm flipping through not flipping through channels anymore. I'm scrolling through what's on streaming, but there are elements. There's some fun things in this that that I'd see again, especially the beginning, like seeing all those like 
legendary rappers in the beginning. Uh, Jermaine Dupree referencing Wild Style, like woo, that that hit a <laughs> that hit a button for us as hip hop movie club. But yeah, all that to say, I'm bringing this funky flick back. So I want to put on my grumpy old man hat again, and and I hope <laughs> I. I <laughs> I hope we don't alienate Boogie right now because I know how much. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna draw a hard line and, and I'm gonna say leave it in the vault. And and, and the reasons I kind of hinted at it throughout my commentary was it was just a little bit too cookie cutter, too predictable. And hey, I've seen it, so now I can put it in the vault. And um, that doesn't. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean I never see it again? No, I'm gonna put it in a vault, right? If desperate times come up, I'll get the combination to the vault, pop it out. But I'm going to just prioritize many other classic movies in the genre. So I'll say leave it in the vault. This is the first time I think that we, I'm not sure, do we have disagreement? I remember Breaking 2, I left in the vault as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think Breaking 2, we, I, yeah. I don't know if we all did or not. I can't recall now. No, I left it in, I left it in the vault, but I left the door open. Okay. You did. <laughs> you did. You had a caveat. <laughs> So I, can, so I can grab it if I needed to, but I left up in the vault. Listeners, yeah. go check out breaking our episode on breaking two. Yeah, <laughs> no, but this, it. but this movie though, like Dino right, there's like so many little little things here and there that you enjoy. So like, I put it on, like wasn't even watching it, it was just on when he got to something like that that dinner scene with with Dre confronting Reese. I'm like, ooh, that's my scene, you know, stuff like that where I knew. Something that I really enjoyed came in. I was like really <laughs> focused on it and pay attention. Then I go back to you know, kind of doing whatever I was doing. <laughs> Richard Lawson. Richard Lawson. <laughs> this movie is hard to find. It's hard to yeah. find. I had to stream it on Amazon Prime. I also had to rent it on Amazon Prime. Yeah. I was hoping my library would have a copy, but they didn't. Yeah. So yeah. They don't. Oh, well. I got this. This was at my mom's house. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I have it. I have a copy of it somewhere, but I, I snagged this from my mom's house. I was like, hey, let me borrow this. <laughs> nice. Hip Hop Movie Club is produced by your HHMCs, JB, Boogie, and Dino Wright. Theme music by Boogie. Special thanks, as always, to Susan, Tawanda, and Alice. Check us out on TikTok and Instagram at Hip Hop Movie Club. On the next episode of the Hip Hop Movie Club podcast, your HHMCs will review ATL. It drops in two weeks. Subscribe today in your favorite podcast app and you won't miss it. Shout out to you listeners. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, don't hate, originate. And somehow we went through the whole thing without mentioning how fine Tate takes is. <laughs> <laughs> He's like the textbook example of a fine black man. <laughs> well, we were saying before that there's so many beautiful people in this movie. I mean, so- Boris Gojo and Nicole Ari Parker married to each other? Good yeah. lord. I mean, I'm not one for appearances, like talking about people's appearances, but you can't hide bone structure like that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He wants to have beautiful children. They They do. do. They do. Their children are beautiful. They do.
Yeah, they do. <laughs> 